Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com Everything is personal right here. Everything is personal right here Everything is personal right here Let me handle the N.A. Heat guarantee when you press in the play Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. And today I have with me a guest who I think everybody will be interested in learning more about. I know I am not only for the business acumen side, but I'm super stoked on the musical end. So Mr. Jeffrey Graham, who's the CEO of Pistol, welcome. Thank you very much. So did I introduce you properly? You're, you're more than just a CEO of Pistol, right? You have, uh, uh, there's other things uh, uh, besides just being a CEO, you're a thought leader in the space and you have a lot of background in uh, the data space. So uh, I wanted to ask you, how do we make data interesting and sexy to people? Because everybody says data and it's like, oh man, it's such, such a drag. So maybe you can well, help you, me. Well, you know, people, people are trying to get stuff done, right? So yeah. if data is helping you do it, then it's cool. If it's not, then it's a drag. So I think data is only interesting if it's useful. And it's the job of people that are creating services out of data to make it useful. And I think that, you know, sometimes data can be really hard. It can be complicated. It can be frustrating. It can be boring. Um, and then people don't like it. People don't want it. And they shouldn't. Let me learn a little bit more about you before I okay. dive into, uh, you know, your business. Yeah. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in um, the Boston area. Uh, and, um, yeah, I went to school at the University of Massachusetts, um, studied communication there. Um, I went to, um, I, I studied in, uh, in Paris, uh, during college and I met, um, my wife, uh, who's Greek. And so after college, I moved to Greece for a while. Um, so that was kind of my, my early years. That's cool. Did you learn any Greek? Yeah, I speak Greek now. Um, really? But, uh, yeah, because I, I lived there for a couple of years, and um, you know, it's important that my kids learned how to, how to speak Greek, and we go there every summer. So uh, we're kind of a bicultural household at this point. It's very cool. 
Uh, was how how challenging was it to learn Greek because uh, different alphabet, different everything? Yeah, it was super hard, and I'm not really um, type of person that learns um, languages from books. So I basically had to listen really hard for about a year to people talk, and then once I started to f- hear individual words, once I could kind of pick out individual words, then things started to fall into place. But it, yeah, it's very, very different as a language. Got it. So you lived in Boston, then you moved to Greece. And then uh, how did you get back to the US? Yeah. So when I was in Greece, I was um, I was playing music in bars. Um, and uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful lifestyle. Um, uh, I knew that eventually I, I wasn't going to be a musician for life in terms of professional musician and, uh, you know, wanted to build a life with my wife too. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I was in Greece living in Athens, uh, six days a week, I could go to the kiosk in the center of town and buy an American newspaper, the International Herald Tribune. And that was my only access to information. I couldn't, I couldn't read the Greek newspapers at that point. And there wasn't really much internet. I mean, you could barely get the internet in Greece back then, but I certainly didn't have the acumen or the, the, any of the tools to do that. But I started reading about the internet and having studied communication in college, it kind of was like a little bit like a lightning bolt, like, oh, wow, I, I think this, you know, I kind of get how this internet thing is going to be really transformative. So um, I applied to a school, NYU, and we moved to um, New York City for me to get a master's degree um, in internet research. And that's how we got, got to New York City. Got it. Really interesting. And then from there, you uh, went to corporate America, I'm assuming? Yeah. I, so I got my master's degree. I basically just wanted to get a job in the internet space. This was the late 90s. Um, and uh, the first, you know, I applied for pretty much any job that had internet in it. You know, yeah. I, you know, if it, if it was like connecting cables and that, you know, I would have taken that job. I was just like, internet. I want to be in the internet. And uh, I applied for a job as a, a, a media coordinator. And the guy called me the next day and he said, you know what? You look like a research guy to me. And we mm-hmm. have a job that pays $5,000 more. It's a research manager. Do you want that job? I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll be a research <laughs> manager. So that's how I kind of got into um, the internet space, working with uh, at a company that um, we had Procter & Gamble and General Motors and Continental Airlines and all of these companies that were trying to learn about the internet and market on the internet. So I kind of was able to um, to get in early and, and help people understand what the what the journey was going to be like uh, of the internet. I'm assuming this is late 90s, like 98, yeah. 99. Yeah. So right, right before like dot-com crash. Uh, that, yeah, you know. yeah. It was like it was like I moved to New York City in the mid '90s, and that was the late '90s. And then right. um, I moved to a startup that a friend started, and then it was the dot com crash. Um, yep. But I was able to kind of manage my way through that. Okay. Yeah, it's a very similar uh, journey. I, I had a, I was in the, it was in college in the the early '90s, and then mm-hmm. I started an internet company and kind of. Nice. Sold that uh, for a minute and got recruited by Price Waterhouse. So I was working oh. for PW in yeah. that sense, and then 
And then I got recruited to work for a company called Cognizant Technology Solutions, which was on onset offshore development. And it was right at the point where there was a dot-com crash because I got, I got brought in to help with e-commerce and there was no more. Uh, I think they were calling it e-business at that point. But mm, right. then, then it crashed and there was no more e-business, but I was able to navigate through that as well. Yeah. It's, it's pretty it's pretty interesting. It's a, it's a wild ride for those uh, people that don't really know. I, I remember right. when I had my internet company originally, I had a black and white uh, 96 broadband modem laptop. And I used to go out, we had a virtual mall. And I used to go to mom and pop shops and explain to them, what is the World Wide Web? What is the email? How you would use it? And people like, nobody's going to email me anything. This is a waste of time. And right. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, kind of I, think, I think I spent the first 10 years of internet, my internet jobs, convincing people that the internet was going to be a big deal. So exactly. I mean, kind of like, it's kind of like now with cannabis, you know, it's, it's a similar uh, world changing thing that is just at the beginning. And I think that um, it's very clear to me that it's going to be transformative. Um, uh, but it's still early days. So it's, it's cool to be in that position where you're kind of like, guys, this is going to be really, really huge. And I know that it seems like a risky thing, but actually, if you look at, if you look at the fundamentals, um, cannabis is, um, is, is, is similar in that type of. It's an interesting analogy because uh, you, you think about all the different industries uh, that are being like regulated. Think about even what Elon Musk was able to accomplish with Tesla and mm-hmm. then SpaceX. I mean, what a regulated industry, space, and he was able to overcome mm. that. So you, private industry getting into that. And I think you're, you're absolutely right. There, there is this whole notion of, yes, it's regulated. It may not be regulated enough cannabis. That's why it still has mm-hmm. this sort of mentality of being gray and being black uh, until you kind of start getting the regulations in place and it helps legitimize an industry when, when governments uh, start to do that. So from from that standpoint of, uh, you know, working the internet, then you got it into, if I remember correctly, Twitter, Google, Twitter, is that, is that right? Or is so that- I went, I went, uh, uh, I went to a consulting company uh, and I was um, helping um, Procter and Gamble for a couple of years do marketing measurement, which was cool. And I learned a ton because they're, they're really disciplined marketers. Um, I was, uh, I, I worked at the New York times. I, um, managed their research departments for, for a couple of years. Um, and then I went to Google, uh, and then Google to Twitter, which brought me from New York city to, to the Bay area where I am now. Got it. So why is data important? Um, well, I think data helps us understand the world. I mean, it's, um, it helps us answer important questions. You know, um, it's almost, um, you know, why is science is important, you know? Um, so data is, data is, um, the things which we can organize in a way that help us um, solve problems, make decisions, and answer important questions. Yeah, it's a it's a great answer. I, I think I read somewhere that uh, you have to measure what you what you may want to change, and mm-hmm. without data, you can't really measure 
whatever. So you don't yeah. know what's going on unless you actually measure something and then you can make modifications uh, to what you're measuring. Uh, I know I'm sort of all over the place because my ADD is kicking in, but I, I'm so fascinated by your trajectory because there's a lot of parallels and similarities and music thing and all that. Uh, yeah. But go, going from, uh, you know, Twitter and, and some of the dot-com uh, stuff that you worked on, how did you get into cannabis space? Well, you know, cannabis has been part of my story um, from, you know, for a long time. Um, you know, I grew up with people who grew cannabis uh, in in Massachusetts and um, it was part of the culture that I grew up in. Um, in college, I actually... Um, did, did a little bit of work around, um, you know, the, the criminalization of marijuana and, 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 and um, helping, uh, you know, producing a video about the drug war and things like that. Um, and then as a musician, obviously, cannabis is something that for a lot of people allows, allows them to kind of tap into the, to the magic of, of making music and of, of listening to music. And, 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 and that's, um, that's a really wonderful thing. And, and the, the joy that cannabis can bring people along with comfort and all the other things. So um, cannabis is, um, as you know, is everywhere. Um, and um, I, I think that I started to recognize as, as time went on that um, there was a big opportunity and also a big, um, a lot of, a lot of change that needed to happen. Uh, and to be a part of that change was going to be really exciting and really interesting. So take me through the process. Uh, you're looking at, uh, you know, your internet, internet space, you're in Silicon Valley or in that area in, in the uh, San Francisco area. <clears throat> and you, you're, you're actually, you're, you like cannabis, you understand the the benefits of it. How do you go from transitioning from, you know, that, that dot-com kind of face is saying, okay, there's a gap in the industry that I think my skill sets that I have honed in from years of doing it, I can take and transition it to the cannabis space. Mm -hmm. uh, how, what was yeah, even more stark than that, because after Twitter, I was working for a company called BlackRock, uh, which is a New York-based company. I was wearing a suit and tie sitting in, you know, really kind of desperately unhappy meetings of, you know, people um, that just were, you know, just deeply, deeply corporate America. I, I thought, I thought that that was going to be an interesting thing to do and it wasn't. Um, and um, I started talking to friends who were investing in cannabis and I actually have a good friend of mine, Joel Lennonfeld, who uh, was investing in this company called NorCal Cannabis. And he and I started talking and we, it was kind of the light bulb going off similar to um, the early internet days was like, look, this is a, this is a plant that tens, if not hundreds of millions of people are, are literally risking jail to consume. Um, it's a, it's a plant that people have been using for probably 30,000 years. It has all of this power ready to unlock. It's um, there's all, all these structural crazy imbalances, obviously with people going to jail for it. And, you know, you know, that, 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 that will change and need to change. Um, but look, like 
and, and then this is this wonderful thing that we love. Like, what about getting involved in cannabis? So it wasn't really, I guess I had a sense that, that I could help somehow. Um, but similar to the internet um, career, I was just like, all right, let, let me just jump in and, and see what happens. Um, and uh, so I joined a company, the NorCal Cannabis is head of business intelligence, which is kind of silly. It's like, hey, what do you do for a living? Business intelligence for a weed company. You're like, oh, that sounds really <laughs> cool. Um, but but I jumped in and didn't really have a, a plan to start a company, but I had a plan to just get into the industry and, and, and mm-hmm. contribute. And, and that was, that was the step. That was not a lot more than that. Got it. You wrote in a blog, um, see if I can remember, you want to make it easier for cannabis brands to, you want to make it easier for uh, cannabis brands to grow basically, yeah. if I remember correctly. And Using data is a way that you feel that uh, cannabis uh, brands can grow. Is that was that the the, the position yeah. you were taking? Yeah, I mean, you used the quote earlier, like you can't you can't manage what you don't measure, right? And the cannabis marketplace in or the constellation of marketplaces, because every state is different and every locality is very very different. Um, it's very complicated. It's very messy. It's very complex. It's hard to do business in in these in in this type of industry if you don't know what's going on. If you don't know what's going on in your local market. If you don't know what's going on with your brand. If you don't know what's going on with your customers. If you don't know what's going on with the consumer. How do you make good decisions? You know. And if you don't make good decisions, how can you grow? You're going to be wasting money. You're going to be missing opportunities. So, simply getting some information to inform a decision that you're making um, is very simply just a better way of doing business. And what I found when I, when I was at NorCal Cannabis is that um, it, it, the, there wasn't really an availability of these types of tools to help us make those decisions. And so particularly compared to a lot of businesses that I've worked in before, where if you wanted to know something, you could kind of get, you could access that information. And a lot of that information just wasn't available. And and I found that um, we were flailing about without that information. So what type of information do you uh, focus on that is most important? And then who is the customer? Is the customer the manufacturer, the dispensary? Like who would utilize that information? Mm-hmm. Our customers are cannabis brands and distributors uh, who have sales teams who are trying to distribute their product in retail stores. And what we provide to them is a mobile application that very simply tells the salesperson on the ground what their opportunities are that day what their prospects are, what their, where they may be out of stock, where they may be, uh, there may be a store nearby that used to stock the brand that didn't stock it before. Um, and then gives very specific information about individual stores that helps them find a gap in the menu or some selling proposition when they do to talk to that store to better position their brand. So if you're a salesperson and you're in San Diego or Worcester, Massachusetts, or you know Michigan, um, you open up the Pistol app and you mm-hmm. see, um, 
hey, here are five stores around me right now. And here's what's going on in those stores. Here's where my competitors are. Here's a store that's likely to stock my store. Maybe I can go give them a call or I can go visit that and, and be armed with a little bit of information to know how to better position your product. Got it. So how are do you have integration in the individual uh like menus or a seat to sell tracking system? Like how is it, how do you get the information in real time? We collect publicly available information. So the information that is available to every consumer, which is uh, for, uh, you know, 95% of stores, you can find out that information about, hey, what's for sale today? Uh, at what price? And you can see day over day, new new products appearing, products going out of stock, products reappearing. So we basically automated that process where we collect all of that information and really just kind of repackage that information to make it easy. So a salesperson doesn't have to visit Weedmaps for every single store that they're going to call upon. Weedmaps isn't built for them. Um, and it's not just Weedmaps, obviously. All of the types of information, what stores are open, what licenses are open, what, you know, what the information about the stores that we can get publicly available. No, I think I think it's very valuable and information to be able to uh, utilize your time effectively because that's yeah, I used to be the education director for a large distributor for a minute. And I remember their salespeople, they would just randomly go to stores and make the rounds. Right. And I'm like, well, why don't you have any strategy on why you're going to this store? You still have inventory in this store. You don't have enough inventory in this store. What's selling here better than here? Like you're not really tracking any of those things. You're just randomly knocking on doors. I mean, I think we've, uh, it used to be, I used to be a commercial real estate broker for a minute. And then, then my, uh, I remember my broker uh, that was training me, he said, uh, I'm like, what shortcuts? He goes, good old fashioned shoe leather. Here's your yellow page, here's expired listings, knock on doors. And it seemed like it's the same kind of thing. And I think what you're doing is you're creating a much more strategic approach to uh, for salespeople to go in and sell the products that are, are better positioned uh, for for a win, mutual win for the for the store and uh, the distributors uh, and manufacturers. Uh, I couldn't have said it better myself. That's exactly right. what, we're, what I'm, we're doing. I'm I'm available if you want to. Uh, you know, let's talk. Uh, hey, hi, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll give the clip. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll give I'll give up my company. I'll go work for you. So so does that. The other two data companies that that come to mind in the space are uh, New Frontier Data and Headset. Are okay. these competitors? Are they completely different? Because the, I, the reason why I'm asking this because the audience, I, I've known I, I've talked about data before in the space, yeah. and those are the ones that come up. They're data companies, and I don't even think people understand what they do personally. But I just maybe we can differentiate them or or, or not from sure, what they do. Sure, sure. So. Um I think uh, those companies are better talked about as kind of market research companies. So um, if you're a brand and you're subscribing to Headset, you can get a good understanding of what's selling in the state, what categories are growing. Um, you can get estimates about different types of brands, um, uh, you know, sales volume. And that can be super useful if you're building a kind of a general strategy around your product, or if you're, you know, you want to 
compare yourself to other to other brands. Um, and New Frontier, I think, is similar. I think they have more of a consulting uh, approach to the market. Um, but broadly speaking, that's kind of market research. Use market research when you want to build a PowerPoint presentation about what's happening in the market, maybe build a strategy. Um, we are more about sales enablement and market intelligence uh, in that we are down to the local level and we're giving very tactical information to people mm-hmm. that are making decisions every day and the data changes every day. So um, we're more arming people that are on the ground, in the field, uh, trying to get a bigger commission this, this month. Um, and because we have coverage of more than 90% of stores in the states we operate in, you can see all the data down, not only to the local level, like San Diego, but down to actually the store level in nine out of 10 stores. And th- those other companies don't really do that. Um, so we're kind of serving a different, uh, you know, one of the things that I found when I was at NorCal is that data services and cannabis weren't didn't really do a good job of helping sales teams. They were good for marketing teams, I think, and for executive teams, but not as much for the salesperson and the sales manager. And that's the gap that we're trying to fill. Got it. That's very clear. It makes total sense. Uh, you're in California right now only, correct? No, we are no. in seven states. Oh, okay. We'll be in another 10 by the end of the quarter. So okay. uh, we've, we've, we've been expanding very quickly. Well, congratulations. Thank that's you. great. Uh, so I'm curious, is there a difference between, and I hate the terminology of recreational states, but I'll say adult use states and medical states. Are you, are you focusing on both? And is there a different dynamic of, uh, of having that experience with, uh, your, uh, with pistol in those states versus the other ones? Yeah, we're, we're kind of discovering some of that. Um, you, we're focusing on states. We've started by focusing on states that do have a adult use or recreational market. Sometimes there are medical markets attached and are part of that. Um, and, you know, there's different versions of medical markets, right? Like supposedly there's a medical market in California, but is there really? And, you know, uh, and then some, some places, some states, they'll literally have separate stores and some, so every market is very, very different. Um, but, we will be we will be addressing kind of the traditional medical only markets too, because particularly on the East Coast, um, some of the companies that operate in multi states they do have very you know um, important plays in medical only. I, they're they're likely also waiting for adult use, but right. um, but we've started with with recreational. I, you know, I I I do hate that distinction. Um, because I think that from the consumer perspective, um, it's kind of those two terms almost make a hard line between people using it for medical stuff and then people that are using it just for fun, which is the kind of what recreational implies. But actually, most people who use cannabis are using it for, you know, whether it's to relax but there's a lot of people, actually 84% of cannabis users use it for pain, sleep, or anxiety and depression. So there's this kind of, it's wrapped up in the stigma, but also the misconception of cannabis that like 
people are just getting high and playing video games and like that's what it's all about or getting high and going to a party. But it misses the fact that people are actually using the substance for physical and emotional comfort and there and and as medicine. And and so even if it's a recreational market, that word doesn't really do justice to what actually people are using the product for. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you said that. I, I was presenting at a, an event called Canna Pharma, you know, a few months ago or whatever it was. And I, that was one of the things that I was talking about is medical versus uh, a recreational and or adult use. And when you look at the numbers, you're absolutely 100% right. It's therapeutic, right? People are yeah. using it for a therapeutic purpose. They're using it to help them sleep. Uh, like if you look at the studies that have been done, even for community, for a relationship, to have a better relationship with your spouse, uh, to relax instead of your glass of wine, that's not recreational. And you're absolutely right. You know, having this, it, it, it creates a stigma again, because you see this recreational, you see the dabber kid that's sitting there dabbing all day, you know, okay, there is, there is some of that, but, yeah. but so what? And, and I always find it fascinating, uh, this whole notion of uh, having an adverse event. Like we have a company that does genetics uh, analysis and, and using DNA to guide people so they can avoid an adverse event, so they can have a more personalized experience. But you know, people people talk about you having an, uh, an adverse event with cannabis, and I and I just I just actually talked over the weekend with a group, and I was saying, okay, an adverse event with cannabis. Well, what's an adverse event with alcohol? Right. So you drink you drink too much alcohol, you get sick, you learn maybe that's a little too much alcohol. But you don't go back and you blame alcohol for that. You look at yourself and saying, oh, shit, maybe I mixed alcohols or, or you know, I, I drank too much. So it's the same thing. If you're having an adverse event from, uh, you know, cannabis, there is a, maybe it's dosing specific. Maybe you consume something that wasn't right for you. It's not the cannabis. It's you. You can adjust and make those decisions mm-hmm. yourself for those reasons. But you're you're absolutely right. It's it's uh, and, and there are states, you know, Pennsylvania, and then there are states uh, that are that have a, a true medical program. But then you have states like Florida that have a medical program, but it's it's a medical program that's like a seat to sale medical program. So you have no other choice, but you have you have a market control from you know a handful of companies that are really controlling the entire market, and even. If for those companies, it's interesting to see how the transition is from the you know the medical state to a uh, an adult use state, and seeing if the product uh, landscape is different in those states versus the medical states, and are are people actually buying different products just because your state is you know, has has a licensing that's more adult use versus a medical uh, use. Is there a difference in the, in those kind of products? Or, you know, I'm just fascinated about that. And I'm sure you're looking at into, you know, your, your data is looking at some of those things and seeing if there is gaps in those, uh, uh, in those dispensaries in those states versus other states. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you kind of point to all the complexities of it. You know, when I moved to California, it was medical only, but you just walked into a doctor's office and talked to some hippie doctor for 20 minutes and walked across the street and there you were in the dispensary. So is that that's very different from when there's when the, there are more hoops, more medical. There's so much about the actual structure, Florida with kind of like this um, very limited number of players. Um, so, you know, in every state is very, very different in terms of, you know, you know, you've got California, you know, just with so many brands, there are literally 
millions of products for sale in cannabis in the United States. Like mm-hmm. if you ask the, the average person on the street or, you know, in the industry, how many individual SKUs do you think there are in cannabis? There are literally more than 3 million different types of products for sale in the United States. It's crazy. It's a super, super diverse and um, pretty wild and hard to keep track of if you're, if you're trying to make decisions. All right. So I'm super curious about this. You said uh, BlackRock, which yeah. uh, it's an investment bank. I, I can imagine. I, I used to be a PwC guy, so I understand what wearing a suit and tie and uh, you know having your your life actually sucked out of you every single d- yeah. uh, day. You come in there, so I get yeah. that. Especially being you know a music guy, it's like the mindset's mm-hmm. completely different than Twitter and Google. Uh, and then uh, you guys raise capital through uh, Casa Verde, right? Right. Uh, is it so? Give me, give me sort of the dynamic uh, of the culture of, uh, you know, you have uh, BlackRock, you have Twitter, Google, which is different cultures, obviously BlackRock, and then going to cannabis. You know, what's what's the differences and similarities that you found from there? Um, well, definitely. Uh, so I, I, I worked primarily when I worked at before Pistol. Um, it was California cannabis. So the people look and feel different than they do at BlackRock. They have different sort of, I I don't know, there's just, you know, you know, cannabis people, especially California cannabis people. So kind of that informal sort of way of being, um, which is cool. Along with it, uh, and then you just ha- you also have just kind of this you have this combination of really deep knowledge of the plant and of the you know of the culture, but then at the same time, sometimes there's a lack of the modern business approach to running a business, right? So so it's kind of how those things collide, and so as a person who's been the modern business guy and not the OG by any stretch of the imagination. It's been my job to, and on me to kind of step into that bridge and not just be, all right, the dude who like the technical guy, you know, who's just like, or the suit or the suit. Like if you're coming from that and you're going into the culture, you're absolutely right. Uh, Because, you know, California is really interesting in Colorado and some of the other States, but California specifically, because they're very, uh, they're very aware of the suit that yeah. goes into humble. You know, you're sitting there and talking to guys with beards and been there for generations, and then and then you have to actually step into a boardroom with uh, Casa Verde, and you know, for those of you who don't know, that's uh, Snoop's uh, investment yeah. uh, bank. So, so you know, having the corporate background and being able to connect to the culture uh, that should give you some sort of. Uh, advantage, I guess, right? In, in certain ways, so you're not just one or the other. Um, yeah, I think you, I think you need, in order to do well, you need to, you need to be, a, you need to have both, you know, you need to have both particularly for something. So yeah, I think that if I just came in with it, but that's also just an attitude. If you step into any new company or new business and you're like, Hey, I know the way to do it. And so I'm going to tell you the way to do it. Um, that's never going to work, no matter where you're walking into. It always has to be. Let me understand, you know, how things work here, 
and let me contribute what I think is, you know, could be helpful. And then because, you know, it's, it's like data, it has to be useful, right? Yeah. So if you come in there and you're like, yo, this is the way that it has to go because this is right. the way that Twitter and Google do it. That's not going to be useful to anybody and it shouldn't be useful to anybody. So yeah, it's very important, I think, to bridge the gap and, and to have a, a, to have a real appreciation, not only for cannabis, but also for people, mm. you know, and, yeah, and b- being curious, I think, I think is yeah. really important as well. How, how do you, how do you guys, you have a complex business. Like it's not, it's not after you explain it, but when you first look at it, it's like data, what, what does that mean? How do you market yourself? Especially to the, uh, you know, we have very short attention span these days. So how, what's your marketing approach? You know, we don't do a lot of marketing. We probably should do more. Our, I would say our main marketing channel is posting and interacting with the community on LinkedIn. Um, you know, we have a website, but we don't do outbound uh, marketing. We, we just haven't ever really gone down that road. Um, so we're doing a lot of, you know, um, uh, Taylor Jones, who's who's my co-founder, has been working in the industry for eight years. So he knows a lot of people, but a lot of it is one-to-one. Um, and then word of mouth, you know, it's, it's um, you know, there, there are a lot of people that move around in cannabis. So if you've used Pistol at one company and you found it really useful and you go to another company and you don't have Pistol, you know, a lot of people will be like, hey, it would be really great if we had Pistol here because this is something that helps you do my job. So that's really the way that we've grown so far. Is there, are there any um, friction points to conversion that you see that uh, that's being common? Is it, is it like lack of understanding, lack of uh, knowledge, or is it, I, you know, people are risk adverse? Like what would be some of the areas where you think that you have the most uh, uh, friction for conversion? Um, or maybe you don't have any. Yeah, no, I would say, I would say if we just think about front of the beginning of the funnel to the end of the funnel, I'd say a lot of the work goes into just finding people, <laughs> you know, people are not, they're not always like publishing their emails. They may not be on email, you know, people, there's still this sort of um, relatively unground, underground aspect to cannabis uh, in some places. So getting, getting that first contact, getting people interested and, you know, getting them engaged. Luckily we have, Data, so we can contact someone. And say, hey, do you know you have you're out of stock in three stores yesterday in Los Angeles? You know, oh, how do you know that? You know, so that that can be useful. We we usually sell with a, just a very quick demo, and um, we do really well with the demo once people see it. Maybe there's something like I've seen data companies before, but when you see the product, it's very clear that we've worked really hard to make it very literal you know, very kind of like, here's your list of opportunities. So that's kind of where we are. Are you, are you focused on the hemp or CBD industry as well? No. Uh, or is that something you're avoiding? No, well, we're not avoiding it, but we're, we're, you know, we're, we're mainly, we're focused right now in kind of the regulated, you know, adult use uh-huh. uh, and medical cannabis markets. 
So that's not an area that you will plan to pursue in the, the near future. Uh, there's so many. There's so much other opportunity that we're looking at. Uh, providing data to retailers, uh, providing data to, to you know, we want to serve and help every business in cannabis grow. And so there's a lot of companies, very small companies, that we want to help. We want to better help the very big companies. Uh, so we haven't really looked at that too hard at this stage. So, so what's your what's your goal going forward and, and how are you measuring that success? Well, we just we just released our product about 14 months ago okay. uh, in California. Um, and it was it was simply gummies in California. <laughs> so so that was 14 months ago and now we're you, you can build a whole business just on gummies in California. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I mean you certainly can as a brand there. Um um, and so what we've been doing is we, right now we're focused on expanding to the United, entire United States and Canada with our, our current product, building a product for retailers because retailers struggle with some of the same issues that salespeople have, which is like, what's happening in my local market? You're a retailer. You know, I'm in Palm Springs right now. Um, I'll just try. How, how, how's, how's the weather? It's good. I was at the Coachella <laughs> Festival this weekend and it was super hot. And so I'm still here one, one day. You, know, you walk down Palm Springs, there's like three blocks of, there's like eight, eight cannabis retailers in, eight, in like three or four blocks. So they need to know what's going on around them. They need to know what products and pricing and things like that. Um, so we're, we're just, we just want more people to use Pistol. And that, yeah. that's really what we're focused on is just it's just growth at this point. At this point, uh, all right. Let's let's talk about music a little bit, which cool. is a much much more interesting topic uh, <laughs> for, for sure. me. Yeah, I mean, it all goes together. But uh, uh, you mentioned, I think you brought this up in the beginning. You brought up this whole flow state or something to do with flow in music, and you actually, I think, talked about cannabis and uh, uh, and how it can enhance the the creative, uh, I guess, flow for a musician. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you, by the way. Uh, can you expand on that a little bit uh, from your personal mm-hmm. interest and just uh, in the, in the industry itself? Is that something that you would consume cannabis and you are open to more creativity flowing in? Is that sort of uh, your reference uh, point to that? Yeah, I think flow is a good word for it. And music is 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 magical it's a magical language you know sometimes it uses words and things like that but there's this magical language that connects to people in in a way that can that's unique it's music right yeah. i mean it's like it's something that's very hard to put into words um and and so i think as everybody knows who's and, and this doesn't work for everybody and it's not necessary. You don't need to use cannabis to appreciate music for sure. But for everybody who has gotten high and listened to music and felt and heard something, um, you know, it's the same for me for making, making the music. It's getting inside of it somehow and um, tapping into that language in a way that's, that's very focused um, and very free. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it can be a really beautiful thing. 
so what do you what do you play or what did you play well let's see i i used to play primarily guitar and believe it or not uh when i was in greece i was a blues act uh uh you know i was um i played with um this french guy who was really great on lead guitar and i used to sing like um uh blues songs and sort of old time spirituals and, and uh, play harmonica and, and, and okay. like that. Um, and, but lately I, I switched about five, six years ago, primarily to bass because there are way too many guitarists in the world. And uh, I started to learn how to play jazz. And so I, I was playing jazz uh, bass in a trio for, for a while um, and then the last couple of years, I've been playing upright bass, which is its own thing. And now I've been getting into the gypsy jazz scene in San Francisco and, and playing an upright bass and doing a little singing and just Man. fucking around. How do, you, how do you travel with that upright bass? I don't. That's the, that's the big problem. I need to travel with my electric bass. You For know, sure. The travel yeah. bass. So you can plug yep. in the earphone and yep. keep up the chops that way. And I used to yeah. travel a lot. So that was important. But um, yeah, I mean, there are up travel upright bass type of situations. But that's such a pain in the ass. I did. You know, occasionally I'll look into renting one when I'm on the road, but that never seems to work out too well. So from a blues standpoint, uh, I'm curious, who would you say like some of the current uh, blues guys are? Because, you know, I, I went to see Buddy Guy. I'm just wearing my Buddy Guy yeah, shirt. I went to see Buddy Guy. And it's like, that's the end of an era. Like that guy's in his 80s when he goes. Yeah. I mean, you have Bobby Rush maybe left. I don't know who oh, else yeah, there yeah, is. Yeah. There probably is nobody. Like that's the last of the old school. Unless I'm missing somebody. Uh, but out of the new breed that's coming out, who do you uh, who do you listen to, if anybody? I mean, new, new. I, I don't know. I mean, right? Yeah. I mean, so, uh, yeah. Go ahead. I'll, I'll turn you on to a couple. So there's one kid. His name is Kingfish. It's Chris Stone, Kingfish Ingram. Okay. Man, this kid is a, is a second coming of like uh, uh, probably be BB. Like uh, yeah. those guys. Oh my God. He's incredible. Uh, and you know, Gary Clark Jr. I guess, but he's sort of, he's sort of, he can play really good blues, but he's sort of transitioning to uh, like a rock blues because he's, you know, wants to sell albums, I guess, uh, or his yeah. labels okay. uh, tell him to do that. Uh, you know, and then you have Joe Bonamasso, I guess, but he's, I don't think he's new anymore. He's been yeah. around for, yeah. for a while, but uh, yeah, th- those are some of the, and there's another guy. I don't even know if he's really true blues, but fantastic and the Greedo calls himself oh. fantastic guy. And he also plays like funk uh, as well, like blues and funk and played with uh, George Clinton, those guys for uh, a couple of times. So yeah, but, but yeah, uh, I think Kingfish, I think he's like 21, maybe he's 22 at this point, but I saw him like as a kid, it's kid, fantastic. He shreds, so, I bet. Shreds and yeah. sings and, and he's got, he's got the old soul. Like you can, you can see he's, yeah, he's coming out of uh, it's coming out of him. So I, lo- I love that. Kind That's of stuff. wonderful to see. It's just it's timeless music, and it's and it's like it's in every music, you know. Every it's music. Like it's um, yeah. I I um, I'm really into jazz and um, yeah. And the well, who are you who are you into right now, jazz wise? The blues. I mean, 
Or is it old? Is it old school again? I, mean, I, I listen I, to jazz. I, I, I generally, I, I do, I do go to um, contemporary jazz performances. There's a great uh, performance hall, SF Jazz in San Francisco. Yeah. That, um, but you know, I tend to gravitate gravitate to like the late '50s jazz, Miles Davis and John Coltrane, and, and that sort of era of, of music, which is just kind of this amazing point in time. So. You ever hear of jazz is dead? No. So, uh, and I'm going to, and people are going to write in and say, I, I butchered this whole thing. Okay. Maybe. Uh, but so uh, it's, uh, is it's Shaheed Muhammad uh, from uh, the tribe called Quest, uh, Ali Shaheed Muhammad. He has, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a label that is called jazz is dead and they have performances from like jazz greats all the time. And they have a whole series of albums that are coming out. So uh, Alicia Muhammad's the overseeing this, but man, they have some incredible, incredible performances and uh, introducing jazz, like uh, guys like Ronnie Laws and, and newer musicians yeah. that, that sort of had this, uh, like Lonnie Liston and, and Tony Allen, all these guys, and they play phenomenal jazz in small venues uh, all oh, around really? LA. Yeah, that's so cool. When I you come to LA, man, we'll go listen to some jazz. You're in LA, all right. Though that's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. I should I should be coming to LA uh, soon. So that that's awesome. Yeah, I'm a I'm a huge jazz guy too. Like cool. all the stuff that you mentioned, uh, train obviously, yeah. you know. But I, I I got over in some point in my life, I got really into some crazy shit like Albert Eiler and Ornette Coleman and those guys. Yeah. <laughs> and people are like, "What are you listening to? It's not even music." I'm like, "No, no, no. You get." Listen to it. Yeah. Listen to it. Yeah. It's complex. That's the thing. It, it, it is like, it just gets uh, deeper and deeper, you know, the <laughs> yeah. ability to listen. Um, my great joy is my son actually plays jazz now. He's 14. Oh. And, he, and oh, there's, wow. this, there's this uh, performance group in Oakland. So I take him every Wednesday and to hear him learn to play it too is. What, what does he, what does he play? He plays tenor saxophone. Oh man, that's, so, that's what I play. It, yeah, and he's already like better than I am. So occasionally he'll be like, "Dad, you want to play?" And I'll I'll bring my upright bass in there, and then he'll he'll call a tempo that he knows I can barely keep up with, and just kind of you know. Uh, but it's awesome. It's, it's awesome. so cool. Yeah, I have a seventeen year old daughter, and she plays uh, a piano, and she oh. sings and like record music, writes and all that stuff. Super talented, but not not jazz. She's a uh, like Billie Eilish and all those. Uh, uh, and she's a singer-songwriter kind of uh, person. So she loves all that kind That's of stuff. That's great. That's awesome. All right. So I have a few questions I ask all my guests. So uh, I, it's going to be pretty difficult. So just get ready and, uh, you know, it's just like you take a deep breath. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> like uh, please describe your first experience with cannabis. Mm. You know, my first, I would say I'm going to pick one that's a, a meaningful one. I went to, I went to Washington D.C. with a professor of mine I, uh, uh, in college that uh, to shoot this video about the drug war, and we had people come in from this conference. I think Normal was was organizing it about the drug war, and like it was like priests and cops. And then we were we were invited to this uh, party that we didn't really know what it was. They're like, you should come to this thing. And we drove there. It was weird. There was like. I didn't know what I was walking into. There was like security. And then I walked in and 
there wasn't any beer there and people were sort of milling around. And then all of a sudden people gathered in this room and it turned out to be the, um, the High Times Cannabis Cup. It was the last one that was held in the United States. And so there was announcements. It was really informal at that point. It was like representing the state of Montana, you know, XYZ strain. <laughs> and they passed around with these, these uh, you know, these buds that were the size of your forearm, you know, cutting with a Rambo knife and people, <laughs> this whole group of, you know, some of the people we interviewed, but like super diverse group of people, old, young, r- racial, gender, everything, just to see all of these people come together. Um, and so, and I got really, 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 um, really, really <laughs> high. But um, that was... That was a really, uh, it wasn't the first time, but it was, it was the time where I really was able to connect with, with the outer world outside of Massachusetts, outside of my college into this global community of cannabis. So that was definitely something to remember. Very cool. What was the first concert you ever attended? <laughs> I went to Chicago. You remember right. that? Of course. I love Chicago. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Incredible, incredible band. I mean, really great, really yeah. great. Yeah, I, I was like, I don't know, thirteen, and I had a date. And my father drove me, and it was really awkward. And it was, I think it was like at the <laughs> Springfield Auditorium or something like that. And they were great. They were great. I love. I, that was a great band. Do you remember what the first album you ever bought was? Um. I think it probably was Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah, which is, I don't listen to enough. It's just a really great album. And also famously, and I think deservedly so, is is known as a great cannabis album. You know, just oh, yeah. a great, you know, great one to smoke weed with. It's also a really good psychedelic album if you ever do any mushrooms. And you put on Dark Side or just Pink Floyd in general. Yeah. I had an experience at Joshua Tree like that. Mm. It was a it was a very interesting experience in a hot tub with people for three hours just listening to Pink Floyd looking in the sky. So oh come on. <laughs> that sounds amazing. It was. Um, so what has cannabis meant in your life? Hmm. Oh, it's mean it's meant so much, but I would say. I think learning about it has been a gateway to empathy for understanding how, really understanding how people from so many different walks of life, so many different experiences, how the plant helps them in so many different ways. And, and, um, and, it still is something I think that can connect people and hopefully that will stay when, even though when it becomes more ubiquitous, but I think connecting with people is, is probably one of the things that it's really meant with meant for me. Yeah. I completely agree. There, there's a certain community, especially when you share a joint with somebody, I mean, yeah. BC, we don't do that anymore because you're not supposed to do COVID, but. We, we still, I still do. You just you do cup the hand or whatever. You exactly. I was going to show people like uh, if they see it, you cup your hand and you smoke. Yeah. Exactly. You can still do it. Uh, but yeah, that that community building anywhere I go in the world, like uh, from Africa where I was to Colombia, anywhere you you 
you build a friendship uh, that that connects you in a way that nothing else uh, yeah. that I know will ever connect you. All right. So final bonus question. Okay. Please, please describe what your room looked like growing up. Mm. Well, to be honest, I lived in probably 14 different rooms growing up. It was, it was, it, it, it wasn't always a pretty, pretty experience. So, uh, you know, I probably had um, Larry Bird on the wall growing up in Boston, being a basketball boo, player. Boo, boo. I'm a Philly Sixers fan. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> well, you know, Dr. J, well, he, was a, he got a doctorate at my alma mater, and I think he's great too. But, um, yeah, probably uh, some cassette tapes and Larry Bird poster and, uh, you know, a pile of books. And, you know, that, that, was, that was the simple Jeffrey Graham experience. No, no musicians on your wall, nothing like that, even though you're a music guy. You know, I, I don't think I stuck around a place long enough to put up too many posters. It was, uh, got it. Uh, it didn't really settle down until later in life. Got it. Got it. Well, cool. Uh, Jeff, thanks so much for your time. Where can Thank people you. find out more about you, about Pistol, and get in touch with you? Yeah. Uh, let, let well, um, they can find me on LinkedIn. So Jeffrey Graham, Pistol Data, LinkedIn. And, and we have a website too, Pistol Data, P-I-S-T-I-L, data.com. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, talk soon. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humiston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows? Maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.